Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Invite you to take a seat. Um, my name is Chris. I have the privilege of being our student ministry pastor here at uh, our Olathe campus of Christ Community. If you're new or visiting, or if you're one of our regulars who walked in a few minutes late and you have kids, I want to make sure that you know that we have a, a Kid Connect sheet that we have in the back that we really want to encourage families uh, to take advantage of. Um, we love having kids in the worship services. We feel that they are a part of um, our body, of, of the body of Christ, a necessary part uh, in terms of how we worship. And, and we really hope that this sheet will be a great tool for kids in terms of being able to process and understand and engage with what we're doing in the services, but also to be a great tool between parents and their kids in terms of talking through what actually went on in the services when you go home. Because here at Christ Community, we believe that parents are the most vital and the most important spiritual voice in the development of your children as they grow up, and we want to encourage that. And so hopefully this will be a tool to enable you to continue to be that. So, And welcome here this morning. If you are new or visiting, uh, we're going through a one-year reading plan of the Bible as a church called Open Here, uh, where we run one chapter of a day through the whole year, and we're going to get the whole story of the Bible. And this week, um, we're, we're looking at Leviticus chapter 16 and the Day of Atonement. And, and if you're wondering, okay, I haven't even got to Leviticus yet, what's going on? Well, this sermon and some of the sermons that we do, the passages we look at, is to look forward and set the tone for the rest of the week. So that's, you haven't missed out on anything. So, and if you're here visiting this morning and you're thinking, really? I showed up on the one week they're preaching on Leviticus. You've got to be kidding me. Well, you know, you might think that, but I want to twist it just a little bit. In our teaching team meeting earlier this week, Pastor Tom, who's the lead pastor of all our campuses, said in the 23 years or something that he's he's led Christ community, he's never once preached on Leviticus. So, you should see this as your one in 23 year opportunity to go through Leviticus, right? Well, we'll hope you think that afterwards, right? So, all right. So, how many of you on the news this week saw this whole story about this Applebee's receipt that got put on Reddit and then people saw it and and it went viral? We're going to have a picture of it. Apparently, there was a large group of people who in St. Louis who went to an Applebee's and and they were in a large group. They asked for separate receipts. and, And as is typical practice in restaurants, when you have a big group and during busy hours, they add an automatic 18% gratuity. This person, who's also a pastor at a church in St. Louis, decided to say 18%? No, how about zero? And then wrote, I gave God 10%. Why do you get 18%? Someone at the Applebee's, not the waitress who actually, the server who actually served them, saw the receipt, made a scanned copy of it, and put it online. And, and it went viral for a bunch of reasons. And then the waitress who put it online ended up getting fired as well by Applebee's, making the story even bigger. But there's something really intriguing to me uh, and a little worrisome about what's written on this receipt. And not just because of who wrote it either, but the receipt seems to convey that a tip for good service at a restaurant and an offering of 10% or what we call a tithe are the same thing. Do we really consider a tip 
Or do we really consider our tithes and our offerings a tip to God for good service? Are our tithes and offerings a tip to God for blessings that He gives us? Clearly, we don't. Let's just get that out of the way, all right? We don't. And this morning as well, you know, I want to reassure you, you can breathe a sigh of relief. We're not here to talk and think about the nature of our financial offerings. But how we do give, how we worship, is an indication of who we think we worship. How we give and how we worship is an indication of who we think we worship. And this morning, we're looking at Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. Because in looking at the book of Leviticus, we can get a real sense of the God that we worship. Leviticus is more than just a book of weird laws. And granted, there are a bunch of weird laws in Leviticus, if you've ever read it or maybe you've just heard it. But you know, one of my favorites is Leviticus 19, verse 19. It says, you shall not wear a garment woven of two different kinds of material. You know, and you don't have to check your labels or anything because with all the poly cotton blends, we're pretty much all toast on that one these days, right? There's no way around it. You know, another one, Leviticus 10 verse 6 says that you can't let your hair become unkept. You got to take care of your hair. So when your mom or dad tells you to comb your hair, kids, comb it. And from one bald guy to a whole bunch of hair, people with hair, take care of your hair, all right? You know, a bit jealous, all right? And then another one of my favorites, Leviticus 3 verse 17, says that, people, that the people of Israel were never, ever, ever allowed to eat fat. And then you combine that with the whole no pork thing and bacon's completely out of the picture, right? You know, everybody loves bacon, right? Even vegetarians love bacon. We all love bacon. But Leviticus says no. Leviticus is a book essentially that's saying, if we want to approach a holy God, we have to approach Him His way. Did you know that the mean, most of you already know that the meaning of the word Genesis is in the beginning, yes. The meaning of the, of the word Leviticus is He called So we can see the book of Leviticus as God's way of calling his people to him in every moment of their everyday life. Not just on Sundays or Saturdays back then, 24-7, 365, every hour, every day. When we read the book of Leviticus, we see a lot of weird laws, we see a lot of concepts and rituals that don't quite make sense to our 21st century postmodern sensibilities. But in the book of Leviticus, we see a God who takes sin very seriously. We see a God who hates sin and understands how, if left undealt with, it will have devastating effects on us. But in Leviticus, we also see a God who loves His people so desperately that he wants, to provide, he wants to provide a way for them to come into his presence and a way to provide them forgiveness. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16 this morning. If you'll rise for the reading of God's word, we'll turn to Leviticus 16 and we'll read verses 6 to 10 and then verses 33 and 34. Starting at verse 6. 
Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the, over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it and, then it, and that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Verse 33, he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all of their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Leviticus tells us if we want to approach a holy God, we have to approach Him His way. If we want to approach a holy God, we have to approach Him His way. So this morning we're going to look at how that works. We're going to look at why sacrifice, how sacrifice works, and then the end of sacrifice. And then we'll finish as a congregation with a response to sacrifice. Why sacrifice? The reason, the first reason is quite simple, because God is holy. He is the essence of holiness. God is holy because He is great. He's in a class by Himself, and even though we are created in His image, we are only a mere reflection of who He is. He is set apart from us and from everything He's created. God is transcendent, He's unique, and superior in His greatness. But God is also good. His goodness is completely pure. It's untainted. It's perfect. He does what is right and never does what is wrong. He's uncompromising and untainted by sin. He always acts in a righteous manner. R.C. Sproul gives us a simple way to remember what the definition of holiness is. He says, the first prayer I learned as a child was the simple table prayer, God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for this food, amen. The two virtues assigned to God in this prayer, greatness and goodness, may be captured by one biblical word, holy. Kids, how many of you have prayed this prayer before meals before? Probably quite a few of you. There's probably quite a few adults who even remember praying it. I think it's a great way for, for you kids when you say this prayer to remember what holy means. Now, saying this prayer is a reminder to you of what it means for God to be holy. Why sacrifice? Because God is holy. But God's holiness isn't the only reason for sacrifice. Another reason is because we are not. God is holy and Israel wasn't. We're not holy. None of us have ever come close, and we never will. We're sinful, and there must be a price for our sin. And for Israel, it was sacrifices. But Israel was not alone in making sacrifices. Nearly every Middle Eastern culture during this time made sacrifices, and there was generally two reasons why nations or people tended to make sacrifices. One is if they had a decision that they had to make, and they were looking for some sort of direction. So they'd make a sacrifice, and how the sacrifice went would give them an indication, or they thought it would, about what decision to make. 
another reason was to try and manipulate a god or gods and earn their favor. For Israel, neither one of these would work, and there was certainly no manipulation of their god. The sacrifices were required of them because of their sin, and because their sin had caused a divide between them and God that nothing else could change. Their sin and our sin have put us at odds with God and who He is. God is holy, and we are not. But why sacrifice? Because God is a God of justice. He is holy and untainted by sin. We are sinful, and He can't tolerate our sin. So our sin has to be dealt with. To not deal with sin is essentially allow the sin to continue. Parents, we, we know this how, how this works with our kids at home, don't we? If one of our kids does something wrong, breaks one of the rules of our house, if we don't punish them for breaking the rules, it's essentially saying to them, keep doing it. What you've done is permissible. Kids, one of the reasons, and I know you don't like hearing it, but when you get punished for doing something wrong, it's because your parents want you to know what the rule is that you've broken. Because God is a God of justice, our sin has to be dealt with. In Psalm 33, verse 5, the psalmist writes, The Lord loves righteousness and He loves justice. There has to be a price for our sin. And I know maybe what some of you are thinking, because I think the same thing sometimes. You know, when I'm speeding, uh, or when I see somebody else who's speeding through my neighborhood, driving too fast, I right away think, oh, I hope they get a ticket. I want just to serve. I want my neighborhood safer. But when I'm speeding, because I said I'd be home 10 minutes earlier than I'm going to be, oh no, I don't want to get pulled over there, and I don't want any justice, right? I want to get and by with breaking the rule. But if that's the way justice works, then nobody gets justice. Our sin requires a price. Without a price for our sin, God would not be just. And if God isn't just, then God is not holy. His holiness requires that our sins be dealt with. Left undealt with and unresolved, our sins would just drive a bigger and bigger wedge between us and God. And God provides a sacrifice as payment for sin. And He does this because God is a God of mercy. Our sin has to be paid for, and our sin is so egregious against God that for any any forgiveness to be possible, the payment would have to be a life for a life. But you don't have to be a rocket surgeon to know that that kind of payment wouldn't be good for any of us, do you? It's pretty plain and simple. Psalms 86 verse 5, the psalmist writes, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all them that call on you. God gave the Israelites the sacrifices as a temporary way of paying for their sins. Through these sacrifices, they could call on Him and show God that they were repentant and receive His mercy and forgiveness. And now maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, that's great. And so I understand why, but how does sacrifice actually do any of that? Leviticus 16 gives us a really up-close and in-detail look about how the sacrifice of atonement was God's method of dealing with sin. Leviticus 16, we see first that atonement acknowledges sin. 
And throughout the first seven chapters, if you were to read the, the whole book of Leviticus, because maybe you're, uh, you're reading the whole Bible plan instead of the story plan that we've got for open here, chapter, you see a whole bunch of offerings and sacrifices through the whole first part of the book that are more situational. They deal with day-to-day sort of things. But in chapter 16, we see instructions for a very special sacrifice, a sacrifice to be made on the Day of Atonement. And it happens once a year, whereas the other sacrifices happened all throughout the year. And the sacrifice happened yearly, over and over again, throughout history for the Israelites, because it acknowledged the depth of their sin. In verse 16, it says that the high priest will make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And the word used in this passage here for the word transgressions is a word... Uh, Pesha. And it only appears twice in the book of Leviticus, in this chapter, in chapter 16, in verses 16 and in 21. And it's the gravest word that can be used for the word sin. These transgressions, these sins, are acts which break relationships within the community, within our community, and break, break relate the relationship between man and God. They aren't accidental sins. They're willful acts of rebellion. It's the same language that is used to describe the acts that Joseph forgave his brothers for. And just in case you're sitting here thinking, oh, phew, thanks, there's my out. I've never sold a a sibling into slavery, although I've been tempted to, and I've never faked their, their murder by an animal, and I never lied to my parents and let them suffer for years the emotional torment of having their child be dead but not dead. We have to remember that every single day, just like Adam and Eve, we commit willful acts of rebellion against God. We are guilty of these sins. And the sacrifice of atonement provide a way for a perfect, holy God to live with a rebellious people and for His people to repair their relationship with Him by acknowledging the depth of their rebellion against Him. But atonement doesn't just acknowledge the sin. It covers the sin and then cleanses the Israelites or cleanses us. The nature of our sin and rebellion against God requires that the penalty of the sin is a life for a life. But in God's mercy, He provides a way out. On the day of atonement, through the sacrifice, blood is shed to pay for the sins of the people. Two male goats are brought to the temple and lots are cast over both of them. One is chosen to be a sacrifice for the Lord and for the sin of the people. That goat bears the transgressions of the people of Israel. That goat becomes a substitute for the people of Israel. It takes on the sins of the people so that they don't have to pay the price with their own blood. The cost of rebellion against a holy God is borne by a goat. But atonement doesn't just acknowledge the sin, and it doesn't just cover the sin and cleanse us of it. It also removes the sin and the guilt of it and satisfies God. Atonement covers the sin and pays the price for it. But the guilt and shame for that sin, that rebellion against God, is still there. God wants more than anything for that rebellion against Him, the desire to do it again, to be removed from our being so that it will never happen again. And so he gives the Israelites an opportunity to cast out and remove the guilt from that sin, that rebellion, so that we can live free from sin going forward. And on the Day of Atonement, two goats 
are a part of the sacrifices. I already talked about the first goat. The second goat is the Azazel, the scapegoat. It's this goat that is then presented to the Lord alive. The priest places his hands on the head of the goat and in doing so is identifying the offering, the goat, with himself and with the people of Israel. It is, he's transferring the sins of the people and the guilt of the sins of the people onto that goat and then that goat is sent out of the camp to the wilderness to die, taking with, with it the sins and the guilt of the sins. These two goats one which is sacrificed between, before the Lord and the other bearing the guilt of the sins of the people and is sent out of the camp to the wilderness. They show us the two sides of atonement. The first goat which is sacrificed before the Lord and has its blood spread all over the altar represents, represents the divine side of atonement. God's desire for justice being satisfied. And the second goat who is sent out of the camp into the wilderness represents the human side of atonement. The goat who has the sins of the people transferred to it by the laying on the hands of the priests on the goat carries out the people's sins away from them, removing the sin from them. Atonement through the sacrificing of the two goats acknowledges the rebellion of the people against God. It pays the price for our sin and through the substitution of a life for life, it removes the guilt of the sin of the people so that they can live free from sin. God provides a way to pay for the sins of the Israelites. A life is required to pay for those sins. And God provides a way for Israel so that they don't have to pay for their own lives. A goat becomes a substitute. So is there anybody here who thinks, though, that this doesn't really sound like a fair substitute? First... Poor goat, right? Stinks to be a goat in Israel. Eat a few tin cans, you headbutt a few Israelite kids, and bam, you're the next atonement sacrifice. That kind of stinks. Second, does it really mean that a goat is a sufficient substitute for a person? The two don't really sound equal, do they? You know, I know I'm far from perfect, and you don't have to ask my wife about it, and actually I'd prefer if you didn't ask my <laughs> wife about it, but really, me and a goat, the same? Thanks for not commenting on that one, appreciate it. But the goat was never intended to be the final sacrifice for the atonement. The sacrifices of the goats on, on, on the day of atonement were only ever intended to be a temporary stay of execution for the Israelites. The end of sacrifice the end for the need for the sacrifice atonement comes with a new and a better sacrifice. And instead of looking to an altar and an animal, we can look to a person. And that person is Jesus. Jesus is the new and better high priest. In verse 1 of Leviticus 16, which we didn't read, in, that we didn't read this morning, we can read, though, that Aaron's sons were high priests, and when they drew near to God, they did so with having the, without having the right hearts. And it says that they paid for that with their lives. Kids, it's kind of like when you go to your parents and you ask for something that you really want, like you, want, you ask for a snack. And whether you get the snack is often due to your tone of voice or how your heart, Right? If you ask really nicely, do you increase the chance of getting the snack more? Yeah, but if you ask with that really whiny, hungry voice, are you going to get it? No, probably not so much. 
right? So it's the same with Aaron's sons when they came before God. They came with the wrong heart, and they paid for it with their lives. The high priest was the mediator between God and his people, but the high priest was also a human and therefore sinful and could not stand to be in the, pres- in, in the presence of God and therefore could never be the full mediator that we as a sinful people need. We need a mediator that can stand in the presence of God for us and plead for us on our behalf. Jesus is that mediator. And in Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12, the Hebrews writer writes, he says that Jesus appeared as the high priest and entered once and for all into the holy place, into the presence of God to secure for us a salvation. Because Jesus is the new and better high priest, our salvation is not dependent on the sacrifice and blood of goats, but it is secured permanently through his blood. But Jesus isn't just the new and better high priest, he is also the new and better substitute. No more will a goat be the substitute for our sins. No more will our sins be paid for temporarily by an animal. Jesus came as our, as my perfect sacrifice, my perfect substitute. The one who was perfect and had no sin in him took all of our sin on himself and paid the price so that we could stand before God. John Stott really, really shows this idea of substitution well with this quote where he wrote, The concept of substitution may be said then to lie at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone, and God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. In 1 Peter 2, verse 24, Peter writes that he, Jesus, himself, bore my, bore your, bore our sins together in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and have righteousness. Jesus, who had no sin, willingly substituted himself once and for all so that our sins would be paid for and God could say that justice had been served. But Jesus is not just the new and better substitute. He's also the new and better scapegoat. Jesus not only paid for our sins, he through his death has taken away the guilt of our sins. We no longer have to stand in front of God feeling guilty if we've accepted the salvation that has been provided for us through his death. Jesus paid the price for our sin and also freed us from the guilt of sin. In the the second part of 1 Peter 2, verse 24, Peter finishes writing that verse by saying, by his wounds we have been healed. Jesus became the scapegoat for our sin, taking on all of our sin and the shame so that we can be healed from our shame and guilt and stand before our Father in righteousness. Jesus is also the new and better sacrifice. The Day of Atonement was an annual sacrifice, an annual ritual that was repeated year after year. And this was because Israel continued to sin and the sacrifice was made yearly because it could never fully appease God. 
The sin of Israel and our sins and transitions, uh, transgressions are such that without Christ, we would have to constantly attempt to appease the wrath of God, and we would still be doing the sacrifice if it weren't for Jesus. But Jesus is the final and complete atonement for our sins. In 1 John 2, verse 2, John writes, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for, for the sins of the whole world. The Day of Atonement atoned for all the sins of the people of Israel at that moment. Jesus, as the new and better sacrifice, once and for all, atones for all of our sins, all of the Israelite sins, for the sins of all people in all humanity and in all history, should they choose to believe in him. And because Jesus is the new and better high priest, because he is the new and better substitute, the new and better scapegoat, he's the new and better sacrifice, he isn't just the new and better, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way, because at the heart of our rebellion is God, our rebellion against God is a desire for myself and yourself to find my own way. To justify ourselves before other people and to justify ourselves before God. And if we listen, there are plenty of people out there who will tell us, if you just do this, if you just do that, then you will be good enough. But Jesus came and humbly said, there is no other way and you will never be good enough on your own. There is no other way to be justified before God. There is no other way you can never earn your salvation. And in John 14, verse 6, Jesus tells his disciples this when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was the new and better high priest the new and better substitute, the new better scapegoat and sacrifice. But Jesus was more than that. He was the only way. And why should we want another way? He has made our way for us by paying the price. And in him is not just the way and the truth, but through Jesus we can have life, real life, full of joy and fulfillment and peace. Jesus is the only way. The Day of Atonement was an annual ritual that the Israelites went through in order to remain in God's favor. We no longer have to do that. But this morning, we have the privilege of participating in a, re- in a regular ritual, a sacrament, where we can respond to that sacrifice that Jesus made, the death, His death for our sins, the only sacrifice that was truly necessary. Communion is a way that we as a family can remember Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. It's an invitation to take what he did for us so long ago and make it present for us today, right here. In our remembering, we can be thankful for the perfection and the finality of his sacrifice. Communion is a way that we as a family can rest in the grace that is provided through Christ's perfect sacrifice for us. No more do we have to feel guilt for our sin. We can be assured that Christ's sacrifice made so long ago for us is still perfect and still sufficient for us today. Communion is a way for us to come humbly before our God. 
On the day of atonement, the high priest came before God and asked for mercy through sacrifice. Today, because of Christ's perfect sacrifice for us, we can as a, fam- as a family come humbly before our God and be in His presence and be thankful remembering His sacrifice for us. Communion is a way for us to acknowledge that Jesus is the new and better high priest, the new and better substitute, the new and better scapegoat, the new and better sacrifice. Communion is a way for us to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. And let us pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is holy. We thank you how perfect you are, how great you are, how good you are. We thank you that you are a God of justice, and we also thank you so much that you are a God of mercy. And that those things came perfectly together so long ago through these sacrifices. But Lord, we're also so thankful that you saw fit to come up with a final sacrifice, the perfect solution for all our sins, for all our brokenness, for all, for all our alienation from you and against you. Lord, we thank you that your son, who had no business being our sacrifice, chose to be our sacrifice. And paid for all our sins once and for all so that we can come before you guilt-free, come before you humbly, worshiping you, giving all of our life, all that we have every moment, every day. And this morning through communion, we thank you for his body, for his blood. We thank you that you have paid for our sins. Amen.